It's a Friday, finally a Friday, first weekend of summer coming up. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi, all looking forward to wrapping up the week. Let's go to the first story. Is the latest industry to get into the pockets of the Ohio Senate the smoking industry? Why is the Senate pushing a law that could reverse years of progress on cutting tobacco use? Laura. Well, I can't get inside the head of Matt Huffman, so I can't tell you exactly why. That would be a scary place to be. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't want to live there. But there are two core policy ideas here. The first is a ban on the sale of of flavored e-cigarette tobacco in Ohio, but there's major exceptions. And the second is this preemption law that wouldn't allow cities to make their own laws because we don't like to allow cities to have home rule, except for when it comes to fireworks or something. So public health experts say this prohibition is a paper tiger because it exempts menthol cigarettes, menthol vapes, and other tobacco products. It also exempts products that have received pre-market tobacco product marketing clearance from federal regulators. And really, it's it's toothless. It doesn't have a lot of bite to it. And and at one point, this is so interesting, they can't have characterizing flavors in the vapes. Like you can't have cherry. But if you call it jazz or tropical, something that's not actually a fruit or something that exists as a flavor, then you can do it. So there's a lot of ways to get get around this. Governor Mike DeWine, who he has long been an anti-tobacco stalwart is saying this is a compromise against youth nicotine consumption. But kids are using cigarettes. I mean, they're using e-cigarettes and they're vaping more than they have been. And this is where the concern is that while the the total population smoking is decreasing, we're hooking kids on these flavors when they're young. Look, the Ohio government has abandoned its responsibility to the voters. The, what's clear here is the, the, the tobacco companies don't want cities doing real regulations on this stuff. So they're going to do this phony law that pretends to regulate it while banning the cities from doing the right thing. This is another gift to the cigarette companies. We'll be talking about a second one in in a couple of stories. It's just completely wrong. Clearly, the tobacco companies have gotten in with Matt Hoffman and company and gotten them to do their bidding. It's just like what First Energy did and what we see lobbyists do over and over again. There is no way, no way you can say this law is for the benefit of the citizens of Ohio. This no. is for the benefits of the legislature to get their campaign contributions or whatever else. Right. It seems like a big favor to the tobacco industry. Columbus, Toledo, and Bexley all have current flavored tobacco lands. Those could bans, those could all be overturned under this preemption law. And it, it does seem really kind of scary. So there's 2019 data from Ohio that shows tobacco use in, among middle and high school students increased significantly 16% in 2016 to 30% in 2019. Three years, people were doubling the number of kids that are smoking. And a CDC survey in 2021 found that 13% of high school and 4% of middle school students who used tobacco in the prior 30 days and 80% of those used flavored tobacco with an e-cigarette. So, I mean, I have a middle school kid. I, I can't imagine, I, so far haven't seen any kind of interest in this, but I don't want him. You know, th- you get hooked that early, you get hooked for life. Make no mistake. Matt Huffman is helping them profit by getting kids addicted to this stuff. That's what this is about. And if Mike DeWine signs it saying, oh, it's a good compromise, he is too. The guy who claims he's all about the kids, yeah. this will inevitably make more kids addicted to one of the most dangerous substances that we've seen. 
They also sought $20 million a year in a state anti-tobacco program from DeWine. It's down to $7.5 million in, in the Senate. So it's pretty clear where their priorities are. Although we did talk about that. The money wasn't being spent. So the programs that exist today would still be funded. Uh, they just took the money out that wasn't being spent. We got another tobacco story to talk about in a few minutes. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's talk wacky here. What What is the bill the Ohio House has passed to support those who want to use animal worm medicine to fight off COVID? Lisa, we are completely off the rails in this state. Yeah, House Bill 73 passed through the House yesterday, 73 to 17. It now goes to the Senate. So uh, the and these are the things in this bill. Pharmacists must fill off-label use prescriptions like hydro, hydro, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin unless they have moral, ethical, or religious objections. They can also decline if there are dangerous allergic reactions or contraindications to dispensing these drugs. Pharmacists and doctors are immune from civil liability if they dispense off-label use drugs. It bans their licensing boards from disciplining for off-label prescriptions. If the requested drug is not in stock, it must make note in the patient's medical record that they tried to get it from somewhere else. If a pharmacist refuses on moral religious grounds to dispense at a hospital and they can't be safely, the patient can't be transported elsewhere, they must allow a temporary pharmacist to come into the hospital and get hospital privileges for up to five days. Dave Burke, the director of the Ohio Pharmacists Association, says the bill could actually have the opposite effect and cause a run on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, you know, such as occurred in the pandemic. Hydroxychloroquine is used to treat malaria, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus, and there there were shortages of drugs at that time. Ivermectin is an antiparasitic drug that's used on animals. So, and and he also says it contradicts state law. It removes pharmacy expertise from the the prescription process and undermines the standards of care. I, I, the idea that ivermectin will fight a cold or a virus is ridiculous. I've used ivermectin for years with my dog. It's to keep the dog from getting worms. I mean, I just, it boggles my mind that our legislature is rejecting science in its entirety to do cuckoo bird stuff like this. And it's going to be in the law. They're passing mm-hmm. a law that's going to make pharmacists do things that they know is not in the interest of the patient. I just hope that, it's you know, crazy. people don't ask for, you know, bleach to treat their, you know, their COVID or whatever. <laughs> but the supporters of this bill include the Ohio State Medical Association. They say that it's good for doctors. And testimony uh, in support of the bill included medical uh, medical fringe people like Paul Merrick of Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance, which is a D.C.-based group that pushes dubious claims about ivermectin. The Ohio Hospital Association is against it. They say House Bill 73 contradicts state law that requires drug utilization review before filling the prescription, including potential misuse and abuse. You're not able to go to a doctor or pharmacist and say, I believe I have an infection. Give me antibiotics. You have to get diagnosed and a medical professional has to prescribe it. That's the way it is with almost all drugs. This is this runs completely contrary to it. It's amazing. It's one. It's just the, the state is completely out of control. It's the gerrymandered legislature has it's off the rails. I've never seen anything quite like it. It's an embarrassment. We're a national laughingstock, and you're listening to Today in Ohio. 
Is Cleveland's police chief undermining the Civilian Review Commission, which was created by voters and was championed by Mayor Justin Bibb? Layla. Yeah, so in early May, police chief Wayne Drummond issued this divisional notice declaring that police employees must not file misconduct complaints through the Civilian Police Review Board or its investigative arm, the Office of Professional Standards. He claimed the review board lacks authority to investigate complaints made by officers. He points to the section of the city charter that designates the Civilian Review Board as a place for complaints about officer misconduct against civilians. And presumably he's extrapolating that to mean that only civilians can file those complaints. So in effect, that bans cops from reporting to the Civilian Review Board mistreatment of civilians that they witness in the field. Civil rights attorney Sabod Chandra, who was one of the architects of this, this charter section that voters approved, says that this is a distortion of the charter. He says the charter only limits the Civilian Review Board to handling misdeeds directed at civilians, but anyone can report those. He, he really feels that this policy is an effort to silence whistleblowers because the policy directs officers to take allegations of internal misconduct to their supervisors, the Internal Affairs Unit, or the Employee Assistance Unit, Assistance Unit and everyone knows Internal affairs is is a black hole where complaints just vanish, right? Well, and there's also the whole blue code, the blue line thing, right? If I'm a a police officer who has seen one of my fellow officers abusing somebody and I take it in-house, the culture of police is you don't do that. And so you'll be frowned upon. Your supervisors may resent you for doing that because you're, you're giving up one of the brothers in blue the Civilian Review Board gives them the out. If they see somebody doing something wrong, they can go to the Civilian Review Board. They can keep that confidential, right? I I don't know about the confidentiality of reports to the Civilian Review Board, but but we do know that on on for, from the public's perspective, finding out how these cases are adjudicated is much more much easier than finding out how a case turned out in internal affairs. <laughs> Yeah, this seems to be a a retrenchment from what the purpose was. Although John Tucker interviewed somebody on the commission and they actually said this, this makes sense to them. Right. Yeah. Michael Hess, the chairman of the review board said, yeah, yeah, this sounds, this sounds cool. I mean, we, we thought it's also highly likely that mayor Justin Bibb would be displeased to hear about this policy because he was such a supporter of issue 24, but his spokeswoman told John Tucker that Civilian Review Board, you know, it's designed for citizen-driven complaints and it's the long-standing policy for internal allegations to go through internal affairs. So he seemed to support this policy, shockingly. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Now on to the second cigarette story. The Ohio Senate version of the budget that is now in the reconciliation process with the House has some big differences when it comes to Cuyahoga County. Laura, what was added? And more specifically, what was taken away? (laughs) There's a whole lot of changes on this. So one big add is that $2 million would go to the $3.5 billion proposal to build that development mixed use between Tower City and the Cuyahoga River. So it would be specifically used for public areas of the development, sewer, water infrastructure work. Obviously, $2 million doesn't go too far with $3.5 billion, but that's the bedrock plan from Dan Gilbert that 
would really re-envision that part of the city. And it would also repeal this law passed just six month ago, months ago that allowed Cuyahoga County to ask voters to tax vaping products, not just cigarettes and other kinds of tobacco, for arts and culture. So that just passed, but they'd take it away, even though that hasn't been voted on yet. So it adds a whole bunch of money, uh, $600,000 to the Cleveland Rape Crisis Center, $300,000 to Cleveland State provide tuition and wraparound services for young adults aging out of foster care, $500,000 to Y Haven for behavioral health services for homeless women, $4 million for the Cleveland Water Alliance Sustainable Water Technologies Initiative, $400,000 to the Friendship Circle of Cleveland for family support services and respite care for kids with disabilities, $300,000 to Newbridge Cleveland for arts and technology, at-risk adult learner, healthcare professional certification and job placement. I mean, there's very specific things here that feel like earmarks. They took out money. They took out $62 million for this land bridge that we've been talking about for a long time that would connect downtown to the lake. 200000 for Girl Scouts, 500000 for the Museum of Art, Orchestra, and Natural History. It, it doesn't feel like they're really cutting. They're just switching it around. Well, the, the get back though to the vaping. The, the yeah. cigarettes... This, the use of cigarettes is going down. The yes. use of vaping is going up. That's why Cuyahoga County's culture tax was needed to do vaping. It's it's not going to have the budget to support the arts. Right. But the vaping companies clearly have gotten into Matt Huffman's head because of the previous story we talked about. They don't want their products to be taxed because they they like to have them expanding. So Matt Huffman and company are going to take that away again, not for the benefit of the community, not for the benefit of the residents, because they're given a gift to the tobacco companies. What did the tobacco companies give to Matt Huffman and company to give them this? This stinks. It seems just like HB6, right? It's a really good question because, again, like what we talked about earlier, they're taking that preemption away. So they're taking or they're taking the city's rights away. So you can't pass anything as a city to say, but as a community, this is where we put our values and this is where we want to tax and spend our money and protect our kids. And they're saying, nope, you can't do that. Vaping is fine. And there's no reason to do it that that benefits taxpayers. The yeah. only beneficiary of this is the, the companies, right? And, and we saw what happened with First Energy when they wanted the largesse of the legislature. Why is Matt Huffman helping out cigarette companies. That's what this should be about. What have they given to him? What have they provided to him? How have they persuaded him to take care of them so they can keep getting profits at the expense of regular people? Well, at the expense of Ohio kids, right? I mean, the the first story we talked about was directly about kids. And yeah, it does seem really, really kind of obvious because this is the budget. This isn't even... A regular law. They're, they're shoving this into the budget, has really nothing to do with the budget. And the state just said six months ago, sure, go ahead and ask Cuyahoga County residents if they want to tax this. Yeah. Let them make the decision. Yeah. And, he, and they haven't offered an explanation for this because there is no explanation for this. It's, just, it's, it's the way this state is working. You keep thinking that voter outrage will eventually rise because it's the people who are being harmed here. 
everything they're doing in, in the legislature, you can show how it's harming real people. You would think at some point people would get fed up and throw these Do you guys think out. they're just so checked out? I mean, we've talked about this with issue one, but like that the news is just so depressing that they're like, I know it's messed up. I can't think about that because it's just it bothers me so much. Yeah, but it's it's turning Ohio into, you know, a Putin like country. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Can a small municipal fire department ever be prepared to handle a railroad calamity like the one we saw in East Palestine? Lisa, there's a two day seminar going on about public safety and rail. What uh, are the findings so far? Well, the short answer to your question is no. But yeah, the National Transportation Safety Board had a two day field hearing that convened yesterday in East Palestine. Yesterday's testimony focused on the emergency response to the February derailment and the decision to release and burn toxic vinyl chloride three days later. Uh, East Palestine Fire Chief Keith Drabick says there was a consensus among officials, that the release was the least bad option. But he did agree that firefighters need more training on how to handle hazardous materials, especially volunteers. Some of these firefighters are volunteers. They only get 36 hours of training, no hazmat training, whereas professional firefighters get 200 hours that includes hazmat training. But can they really be prepared for an accident of this magnitude in a little bitty town? No. Um, It did take 45 minutes to determine the cargo on these cars. There was no access to the Ask Rail app that's used by railroads to know what's, you know, on each uh, train. The train crew is a mile down the track and they didn't connect with the first responders right away and, you know, let them know about this app. So, Norfolk Southern is, uh, they've already shelled out $62 million for the recovery, and it's estimated they'll spend at least $400 million more before it's all done. Uh, The testimony continues today in East Palestine. I've seen reporting from elsewhere in the country, across the country really, that many small towns now, because of East Palestine, are asking these questions. Are we prepared? Can we do much to, to stop this? What If this happens in our backyard, what do we do? And it really is depressing that the answer is, yeah, not much. Yeah, that, that you're going to need external help, which takes time to get there. You could have this happen again tomorrow, and I don't think anything we've learned would change the response I don't know what the mutual aid system is like in Northeast Ohio because, you know, that's when small, you know, towns, they have an agreement with other towns around them to kind of come to each other's aid in big, you know, systems. But yeah, you can't expect a small town fire department to be ready for something of this magnitude. So yeah, we have to figure out how we, you know, corral mutual aid and also better communication, obviously, between the railroads and, you know, the first responders. And it does seem that is one of the things that might be changing is that the departments are going to be much more quick to find out what mm-hmm. is in direct trains, that they've recognized that information is key. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We have an update on a story from March about Cuyahoga County failing to answer calls from people who need help with Medicaid and other safety net programs. Layla, did the solutions the county offered us back then do anything to fix this problem? The problem the problem has definitely persisted despite those efforts. Reporter Zach Smith and, and Sean McDonald tell us that over the past three months, public records show that just 53% of calls were being answered 
And meanwhile, more and more people need help. The Greater Cleveland Food Bank, for example, has been serving record numbers of people this year. And the need is greater than when the pandemic started. Kristen Morzaka, the food bank CEO, said that for every meal the food bank provides, SNAP provides nine. So it's so important to get eligible people linked into the SNAP program. SNAP is what a lot of people know as food stamps. But these ongoing issues with the call center are a serious roadblock to that. It's causing months delays in the processing of applications because a phone interview is required for the application process. And if you have a change of address or contact information, God help you, you have to call the call center to let them know that. And that's going to be 90 minutes on hold until someone even you know acknowledges your existence. So it does not seem like the changes have have they've made incremental improvements. You think Chris Ronan will be talking about this problem as state of the county speech next week? <laughs> Maybe, but I'm sure he'll say we overblew it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Laura, what's the bad news for anyone who plans an overseas trip this summer but is pushing up against an expiration date on their passport? You cannot get this done fast. If you want to go for the summer and you're expiring, good luck. You better go to an agency because routine renewals as well as new applications are taking as long as 13 weeks to to complete, according to the State Department. Add on the mailing time and you're looking at four months. You cannot renew online right now. COVID's the problem with a record number of applications flooding the department last year when travel came roaring back. So the agency issued 22 million passports in 2022. That's a record. They expect another record in 2023. They're struggling to keep up with the demand. So there are some ways to speed up. You can expedite it for an extra 60 bucks on top of the $130 fee. You can pay like $20 to get it mailed faster. And if you're really in a hurry, you can try for an appointment at one of 26 agencies where you can get a same day appointment. There's one in Detroit and Buffalo, but finding that appointment is probably as hard as getting a Taylor Swift ticket. Yeah, I, I was surprised to, to see just how long the delay is now. I was excited when we had reported that you could now do it online. I, mine doesn't expire for a bit, but that's been taken away because there's problems with it. And, right. You know, I guess this just means people might miss their trips. Well, I hope that people were thinking ahead, right? Because no, it's not like it's ever been a super simple process to get your passport. We're hoping to go away in December. And so last December, right after Christmas, we took the kids to the library to get their passports done. It's not a fun process. You can go to the post office. You can go to most libraries. They'll help you with it. But yeah, so I hope that people thought ahead. But if they didn't, like Susan mentions in her column, because she just went to Ireland, right? She has about four months left on her passport. And she was checking to make sure it wasn't one of those countries where you have to have at least six months before you expire. I think that's when it gets tricky, right? There's a bunch of countries that you have to have some lag time. I know, I know people who have realized at the very last minute that they're passports are current, but they need them to be extended. And then they literally, people are flying across the country to go to these State Department agencies to get their passports just so they can get out of the country. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Lisa, we had those three weeks without a drop of rain, and at the end of which we decided and were declared an official drought. 
Do we still have a drought in Ohio? Somewhat, but it's much improved over the last seven days or so. Nearly 33% of the state is in moderate drought this week. That's down from 76% last week. This is according to data from the U.S. Drought Monitor. So the current drought is affecting about 3.2 million Ohioans. Cleveland and most of Cuyahoga, Lake, and Lorain counties are back to normal now because of the rain received recently. Medina County remains abnormally dry. Um, moderate drought still persists in Geauga, Portage, and Summit counties. We entered the current drought back in June 8th, and we are doing better than some of the other Midwest states. The drought has actually worsened in the Midwest due to the lack of rain, but Ohio did get about two inches, and then Kentucky also improved in the last week. So, uh, and if you see a map, I saw a map yesterday, there's just this little blip right along the lake shore that shows that it's normal. And there's also another normal stretch right around Columbus. How's your yard looking? It's greening up just a little bit. It's not quite as brown as it was. Yeah, it takes a while for the it, the, the lushness to come back. It, I think it comes back faster in neighborhoods that are heavily treed. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Our consumer columnist, Sean McDonald, took a look at ways to save money on broadband through the relatively new wireless options that allow people to be much more uh, decisive in what they get. What did he find, Layla? Yeah, Sean explored the the offerings of cell phone companies like T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T, which are using their 5G networks to introduce competition into the internet market. And he found that in many cases, these are great options, especially for people who don't have access to a fiber network. It's it's a great workaround for the common problem of only having one internet provider to choose from because they're the only ones with the necessary infrastructure installed in your area. So Sean explains that that cell phone companies have extra capacity on those new 5G networks, and they're fast enough that you can use them for an entire home's internet instead of just your phone. And he he sampled T-Mobile home internet service for a few weeks back in December and January, and he found that uh, you know two people could work from home without noticing any problems. They stream TV shows, they use their phones, and, and no issues at all. And it it didn't require wiring up the house at all. Uh, a friend of Sean's who tried Verizon's version of this got very good internet speed simply by situating a device near his window that I'm, I'm guessing facilitates the connection to that 5G network. But Sean said AT&T service couldn't offer him very fast speeds. Unfortunately, I mean, Sean says Sean couldn't get straight answers out of the companies on whether these services are available in specific areas. They seem intentionally vague about that. He suspects that that's for a few reasons. They don't want to oversell their network because that will slow down speeds. They don't want to limit the number of customers who visit their site and their network is expanding all the time. So obviously they don't want to say something now that won't be true later. What I like about this is that it creates competition because as he points out in many neighborhoods, you got one option for high speed and you're over a barrel. There's no competition. They, they can charge you whatever they want by finally getting some competition involved. Maybe we could get some more reasonable prices. I would think this is really good news for cities like Cleveland too, which are not well wired. I know that there are lots of plans to, to fix that, but in the meantime, it's relatively inexpensive and it gives you high speed. Yeah. I thought this was a great story. I I knew very little about 
tapping into these 5G networks. And Sean did a great job of breaking that down. I think you're right, though. If all sorts of people now get it, it's going to slow it down because the capacity of the, the cell will be maxed out. Good story. Check it out. It's on cleveland.com. That's it for Friday. That's it for the week. Hope you have a good weekend. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens. 